Hi, welcome to Diversity in the D. I'm your host, Donna, and this is my co-host. And I'm going to let him start us out today with a case. Case of Matthew Macon. On August 9, 2007, Lancet police discovered the beaten body of 46-year-old Deborah, Deborah Renfros in her apartment. Renfros was the third woman to be bludgeoned to death in the city in two weeks. In a group in a grim reality was beginning to set in for the Lansing police that there was a serial killer on loose. Lansing was in was in a grip of of a killer who preyed on single women using whatever was convenient to murder them and sexually assault them. He had killed five women in in just over four weeks. The sixth woman would survive. A phone call on July 26, 2007, two weeks before Renfro's body was found, Councilwoman Carol Woods was sitting down with a member of the Baker Denral Neighbor Neighborhood Association when her phone rang. It was a staff at the city council, Woods recalled, calling me about my mother. The neighbor had found her mother, 76-year-old Ruth Hallman, inside her home on Lapeer Street near Martin Luther King Boulevard and Gen and Genesee neighborhood. Report reports were that her mother had cut herself on her lawnmower, then fell in and hit her head. Woods arrived at her mother's home just as first responders were loading her into an ambulance. The things that struck that stuck out to her was the color of her mother's of her of her mother's bruise blouse sorry about that there's so much in here it was a brownish rusty color i'm thinking i don't remember her i don't remember her having that blouse where did she get that days later it had drawn it had <clears throat> drawn it had dawned on to her it, it wasn't a new blouse. It was soaked in her mother's blood. The blood revealed in police reports, it was spilled as a result of being beaten so savage that one Hallsman's finger was nearly, was, <clears throat> was nearly, sir, sir, was nearly severed in the process. Gotta get to what I can see stuff too much. Despite her mortal wounds, Hallman was alive and conscious when she was found by neighbors. She had crawled to her front door to let them in, but had been unable to open it. Later, during, during her trip to the hospital, she had told paramedics to call the police, but couldn't explain why. She was unable to... <clears throat> Recently answered her questions. She she died two days later. Hallman had had been a fighter till the end. Hallman don't didn't hesitate to lend to <clears throat> lend a lawnmower to a neighbor or offer a drink of water to um to passerby. The kindness police learned is how her killer gain access to her home when detectives and crime scene experts 
examine Hoffman's house, there notice similarities between Hoffman's death and in 2004 deaths of Barbara Jean Turtle and Carolyn Kronberg. Turtle 45, Tuttle 30, 45 have been found sodomized. Sodomized, <clears throat> sodomized and beaten to death. A week after being a week after being raped in an apartment on North Washington, Lansing Community College, Professor Carolyn Kronberg, 60, was <clears throat> discovered in a class in a classroom in the downtown campus. She too had been beaten, and an electric an electronic device had been insert, ins, inserted into her vagina. That's sick. Tuttle's murder remained unsolved, but prosecutors convinced convict <clears throat> prosecutors convicted homeless student Claude McCullough for Cronberg's murder and sent him to prison for life. Hall said that even with the similarities, police didn't have evidence to link the three cases. Cronberg's case <clears throat> considered solved. The early theories behind Hallman's attack was that she had been targeted as a result of her of her fear. I was just about to say it again. It's just so small. Of her fierce neighbor neighborhood activism, which had pitted which had pitted her against neighborhood drug dealers. Some of those dealers had found themselves in jail as a result of her efforts. Hall Hall recalled a shopping a shopping list of individuals who were potential suspects. Media and neighbor and neighbors in the neighborhood immediately focused on revenge as the motive. And police also brought into the story. Hours after Hallman was found, detectives interviewed a confidential informant who told them that five drug dealers in the area may have been involved in her beating to death. In the police report, the informant was alleged to have said that the old white lady had seen something she shouldn't have have not seen. So they had to make make an example out of her. <clears throat> Police already had arrest had an arrest warrant for the man, the men related to their drug dealing activities. So detectives took the informants to the apartment that was being used in the dealer's operation. The informant was direct to call was directed to call the police when the suspect when the suspect was suspected men were there. The informants called about eleven p.m. at one a.m. armed with arrest warrants, officers from the city's special tactics and rescue team, or start started a <clears throat> raided the apartment, arresting four or five men on drug charges. Detectives interviewed them, but they denied any involvement in Hardman's attack. The other man was tracked down that night in a West Side hotel, but but that arrest led to to similar dead ends. By the time Hardman was no longer 
was no longer an assault victim she was dead and her case was now a homicide investigation detectives realized they had followed the wrong lead the community was meeting with law enforcement demanding action on august 5th lansing police and potential leaders including the lansing mayor hosted a, a community conversation we brought we began knocking on doors and checking on people dryer said it was important we took it we took the the, the initiative that this is too small okay we're going to check on our seniors a little bit more than what we used to do on the morning hours of august 7th the body of 36 year old deborah kai cook was found in hunter park on the city's east side she too had been brutally beaten she was half nude and a and a stick had been inserted into her vagina she had she had a history of prostitution again there were similarities she was single she was beaten and she had been sexually assaulted with a foreign object placed inside of her but cook was younger than the other victims so police missed the connection between the other victims Cook body was found leaning against a tree about 50 yards from hunter's public pool which was empty and undergoing renovation that that summer the body of rent the body of Renfro's was found just two days later she had been sexually assaulted and beaten to death but it was where she was killed that triggered that triggered the city was dealing with a serial killer it was the same location that Tuttle had been raped and beaten to death nearly three years before her murder was unsolved as was the sexual assault she suffered the weeks before her death serial killers are very rare unfortunately but certainly the strength of the possibility becomes apparent with Wimper. Woods Woods and they a police scanner listener heard the traffic heard the the let's see this is so little I forgot the old show writing better <laughs> heard the terrific heard <laughs> heard the traffic about the rippers discovery yeah. it rushed to north washington from a city hall office thank you because this city is small <laughs> detectives were detective detectives were telling each other there was a connection in the case detectives put together a war room and had learned on uh, law enforcement partners include michigan state police and the fbi to assist a task force was born with four dead women on on their hands detectives began slow process of looking back at earlier attacks that may have that may have been fatal the research un uncovered a sting of unsolved sexual assaults of older women on the city's west side in 2003. these women had also been beaten and raped but was similar methods used in the attacks that interest the investigation the victims reported 
that their attacker had initially come to their door offering to do yard work, then gained access to the home after asking for a glass of water and to use or to use their phone. Sandra Ethorn was a fan of NASCAR racing and playing Kino at Henry's Place, a popular bar on the city's west side. A, the 64-year-old General Motors retiree was renting a house on the block of Genesee Drive, just around the corner from the bar. On August 27, she was found stabbed to death in her home. She had been stabbed 36 times by night from her own kitchen. One of the wounds went through a rib and several injury and several a major and severe a major artery she she has some wounds consistent with being beaten as well the murder the murder site was less than a mile from the Hallman's where where the Hallman was killed but this time the killer left a clue sitting in a bowl of spaghetti that Ethan had been eating was a business card to a computer repair place on Saginaw Street. In an interview with the company's owner, detectives learned that a black male who had been had been to a shop a week earlier asking to have a password unlocked or changed on a laptop. He got the laptop from a friend, he told the store owner. The owner said the man was suspicious, and after initially refusing to leave his name, eventually did. He also gave his number, his phone number and address. The man was Matthew Macon. That was a name law enforcement was familiar with. Macon was on parole for theft, breaking and entering in 2000. He'd also have been convicted at the age of 14 of sexually assaulting a girl and putting a stick in her vagina. This dude is sick. In Ingham, Ingham, Ingham County Juvenile Court, referee noticed when he was 16 and undergoing sex and undergoing sex offenders treatment that he had required long a he had required lifelong mentoring it was it wasn't just making who was known to law enforcement there was his brother Hobbs wow as well as another brother James Henry Macon Jr who been involved with the courts their father also had a brutal history of violence according to Ingram County court records in March 1984 the boys hold on give me one second because it's so small I can't remember the boy's mother Arlene Macon saw a restraining order against the elder James Macon out of fear that he would beat her in October of that year Macon senior was living with his with his 17 year old pregnant girlfriend when she accused him of beating her with a baseball bat for refusing to prostitute herself. <laughs> These niggas sick. 
He allegedly had a knife and attempted to murder her during the incident as well. However, in January 1985, she she recanted the testimony and the charges were dismissed. Eleven years later, he was convicted of fel of felonious assault for pulling a gun on on the woman's brother while while conduct while conducting surveillance of Hallman's home on August 14th, about two weeks after her death, LP, LPD officer Larry Kloss saw a black man who estimated to be in his mid-50s walk by his home. I observed him to be looking north towards Hallman's home and began to erupt and laugh. He wrote in a report the man was identified as the father james Macon. the hunt was on linda jackson was the daughter of of a methodist minister she grew up in lansing and ran off to california doing a self-declared hippie a hippie phase but she returned to by near she returned to by near family particularly her father she landed a job at michigan state university and she and she said she paid attention as the number of women brutally murdered began to add up that summer her fear however did not stop from her trying to help matthew makeham when he came to when he came to her back door on August 28, 2007, asking, asking for handyman work. She given odd jobs to people before, but she always told them she would have to go to the store to get cash. She wanted to be clear. There was no money in her home to, to stop them from robbing her. Makeham, however, was given the clues that this was a dangerous situation. As he stood at the back door, Jackson remembers he turned away and looked up at the, at the street at least twice. She also recalls noticing that his jaw was tight. <laughs> she said she told him that she didn't have any, any work for him, but that she would pass his information on to her friends in case they were looking for some help. As she get as she get a pad of paper and pen, she warned him not to come in because she had a dog. They wouldn't really well, really that really wouldn't like him. He waited outside and when she returned, he gave her a name, address, and a cell phone number. He told her he told her his name was Chili Smith. <laughs> wow. She she didn't trust him, but she said she didn't feel threatened. She could, after all, hear the neighbors' kids playing and the neighbors outside doing guard work nearby. So Jackson let her guards down. And in an instant, everything changed. When I turned around to when I turned around to go put the pad back on the counter 
that's when he came in she said bacon grabbed a beer bottle and proceeded to beat her with it and jackson began screaming those screams woke up her dog or her dog cheyenne who had been asleep upstairs at first i didn't think she was going she was going i didn't think she was going to come jackson recalled and then she came flying down growling barking snapping lunging at making making terrified of dogs took off running and jackson immediately called 911 when at least 10 police cars arrived shortly afterwards jackson began to believe this had been a run been a run of a meal run of a meal a robbery attempt i don't know what that means some other people words a search of the database of of known alias revealed making use chili as a street name wow trying time making to the attack on jackson the address had been provided a place that he had formerly lived the phone number was bogus the task force had their chief they had their chief suspect they found a work address for make it in hope so about 40 officers from various departments including the fbi were dispatched to the location but make it never showed up hall then called hall then called for a grid of search of the city with assistance from areas agencies and task force members officers spread across metro lance and looking for making garcia and hall were in were in vehicles together coordinating the manhunt when when reed's voice rattled across the radio he had found an individual who matched Macon's description in Lansing Township. Garcia and Hall were in the area, but got lost in route. Reed lost sight of Macon for a minute. It seems the suspect had slipped away. But then Hall and Garcia said his eyes looked alike. I was looking in. I was looking into nothing. It looked like this guy was just evil. They told make they told making he was being arrested on parole violation warrant. As Lanson's only known serial killer sat in handcuffs on the street, take taken in taken into I can't see this. I'm sorry. This is so small. Taken in the spectacle of law enforcement's arrayed before him. He had one question. All this for a warrant? With McCone in custody, all three LPD officials said they were hugs, high fives, and tears among the enforcement officers. But the next, but the next afternoon on August 29th, I can't. I'm sorry. I I, I can't. You have to fix this because <clears throat> it's too small. I can't see none of that. But the next afternoon on August 29th, elation gave way to dread. Another victim was found by a realtor showing an empty house on Hickory Street. Just blocks from where Jackson had been attacked. The woman was identified as Luis Delgado Yates, and she'd been sexually assaulted and beaten with the top of a toilet tank. She was still alive when she was found, but succumbed to her injuries on the way to the hospital. Despite knowing they had their killer in custody, police couldn't release any information on McCann yet. 
He still hadn't confessed, and this new victim couldn't complicate the whole case. McCann had been in custody since the night before. Police needed to delay releasing information on Delgado Gates until the medical examiner could give them a time frame of when the assaults happened. To divert the media from the new assault, Hall came up with a plan. I asked the detectives to give me the name of Jackson's dog and the Jackson attack, and a picture of the dog. Let's talk about the dog protecting its owner, Hall said. We needed a few more hours to put this case together. I had a high degree of like- likelihood that was this was the suspect that he was in custody and that the community was safe, but it wasn't 100%. Detectives went and got pictures of Cheyenne and returned to the Hall's office. The detectives laughed and shared the dog's real name, and Hall's plan worked. As law enforcement was dealing with Hickory Street crime scene, McCone's confession led to the release of Claude McCollum, a homeless student who had been wrong- wrongfully convicted of killing Cronenberg in 2004. He sued LCC police and county officials and ended up with a $2 million settlement. An investigation by the Michigan Attorney General's office discovered video evidence that cleared McCollum. He had not been turned over to the defense. Dunning fired the the lead prosecutor, but the incident created a crack in his veneer as a tough-as-nails, unaccessible prosecutor. During During the confession, McCollum told detectives that he had met McCollum and was relieved that the other man he had been convicted of his crime. McComb went on trial on May 2008, facing two charges of first-degree murder for the killings of Elkrone and Delgado Yates, as well as one count of each of torture because home invasion and assault with intent to murder in Jackson's case. His defense counsel, Michael O'Brien of Okimos, challenged the prosecution's case but rested without presenting a single witness. After only two hours of deliberation, McComb was convicted on all counts in June 2008. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. McCone currently resides at the St. Louis Correctional Facility in here. Alma declined an interview request through the Michigan Department of Correction spokeswoman, or man. Despite promising to charge McCone and the other murders he confessed to, Dunnings announced that he would not seek further charges when McCone lost his appeals in 2010. Dunning argued it was too costly and that McCone would make a mockery of the justice system by representing himself and harassing survivors only to end up in a prison cell. At the end of the proceeding, Dunnings resigned last year after being charged with numerous charges related to paying women for sex. Matthew Emanuel McCone, then 27, was eventually convicted of two of the murders and the assault of the surviving victims. When detectives got McCone in an interview room, it would take three separate sessions for him to confess to seven killings in all, dating back to 2004. In his confession, McCone ticked off the victims with a chilling indifference. Let's see, McCone said. One, two, three... Four, five, there are six people you know that I have murdered. I murdered them all. McCoon's reign of terror unnerved the city, and the ensuing case sent aftershocks that reverberate to this day. It cast suspicion on how the Ingham County Prosecutor's Office operated. In the fall, eventually resulting in the dismissal of an assistant prosecutor, it changed the way Lansing's law enforcement elected officials and neighborhood leaders confront crime. It resulted in freedom for a man who had been falsely convicted of murder, and it created an enduring pain still felt by the victim's family members. I pulled the little drawer out, and I seen the hammer, McCone told the detectives. Burn red and Ron Saika in his confession a month after Hallman's death. And she hit her head down, and I hit her in the head. Boom. And when I hit her in the head, she tried to cover her head up, and I hit her in the side of the head, like it, like, and it went in. A moment later, McCone clarified it went in her head and it knocked a hole in it. The 
confession was not admitted into McCombs' trial months later, so jurors never heard his detailed description. Two years after his 2008 convictions, the transcript was released by prosecutor Stuart Dunnings III, but was heavily redacted. Quotes from the confession came from an unredacted copy of the confession obtained by the city pulse. McCombs said he met Cook at the Marathon gas station on Kalamazoo Street. He had immediately formulated a plan to lure her to death. He said he offered her money for sex, but she wanted more than he was willing to pay. So he walked Cook, followed him until he agreed to pay her $20. Her $20. That's how he met Cook. And that's the end of that case. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess we're going to have to end the episode for today. Uh, that took a lot longer than I anticipated on. <laughs> so, anything you want to say before we end? No. <laughs> okay, you guys have a great day. Bye.